Welcome back to the shed, everybody. We're here again, looking all crazy on video. It's a beautiful day. It's April. No, it's May 5th. Happy birthday to Glen of Oak Bay as we record today. It's also, you know, International Day of Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women. Cinco de Mayo. Cinco de Mayo. There's a whole bunch of stuff going on today, but most, well, not most importantly, but right up there in the top 50, we're recording today. So way to go us. Boys, say hi to yourselves, just so that we know who you are when we go audio only. I'm RJ. I'm KJ. I'm PJ. In the weird lighting here, the weird insufficient lighting in spite of every window in the place being unblinded. Just a follow-up on the negative oil prices, because we did spend some time on how the hell do we end up with negative oil prices. Yes. And uh, I listened to a really good podcast on it, Planet Money. They explained it, because we, all three of us, were a little bit uncertain about which which are the prices, you know, are they futures? We, we thought they're probably futures prices, and indeed, that's what they are, the, the negative prices. So I didn't realize this, very cool. If you are buying a future in oil, that means that you are committing to deliver that oil. So if the future expires on, let's say, the 15th of June coming up. So right now we're recording this on May 5th. So you buy, you commit to deliver that oil on the 15th of June. And the really common delivery location in the States is a particular oil collection facility in Oklahoma. So that's what your contract says. You will deliver a million barrels at this price in a certain location in Oklahoma. But you actually have no intention to ever deliver that because you are speculating. So you buy it because you think the price is going to go up. That's why you buy it. Someone else sells it because they think the price is going to go down. That's how markets work. The problem that occurs is that when it gets close to June 15th and you're just a speculator, you better you better be careful about when you buy it because you might end up on the hook to sell it. And so if you buy it on June 13th and you really are just planning on flipping it because you think the price is going to go up, if nobody buys it from you, you actually have a contract that you have to deliver that oil on June 15th. And there's a penalty of attached to it if you don't deliver because you have a contract. And so most of the people that buy oil actually have no intention to deliver it. They're just buying it as speculators. So now, now you, you bought it, you thought it was going to go up and the bottom goes out of the oil market and nobody's buying. So if nobody's buying from you, you have a contract, you have to deliver it. And so you actually don't own any tankers. <laughs> You've never delivered a drop of oil in your life. You're just a gambler on the markets. So what you're going to do is you're going to go, I got to get rid of this because the penalties are too high. That's how negative prices happen. I'm going to pay you to take this oil off my hand, the oil future contract, because it's cheaper than the penalty. That's how those negative prices happen. I wonder who takes them. Oh, people who are able. So so in the very end of all this, the people who actually have tankers, who actually are able to take the oil from uh, one point and provide it at another point, or who actually already own the oil, for example, they ultimately will buy buy those. Yeah, but doesn't there have to be a, a, a storage capacity someplace for that oil? And isn't that the problem that all the capacity is full and that extra oil that they're still pumping out because nobody's buying it has to go someplace. Is that not true? Yeah, I think what happens is this Oklahoma depot, and there are probably other depots, of course there are, but this Oklahoma depot is always taking new oil and selling it because, you know, the, the price at the gas pumps, for example, never got near zero. It's at its lowest was 85 cents. So there's still money to be made. Um, so this this depot is actually receiving oil and selling oil. I mean, they, they continue to operate. Um, so there's, there's room, apparently there's always room in these because they also have a contract. They have to accept oil. Yeah. I got all hung up on that too. I was thinking about that. You know how the price of the pump varies every time the price of a barrel of oil changes, the price of the pump changes. At least I thought that's what I had heard that, you know, the reason that the price at the pump goes up on a Friday and down on a Sunday is because the price of oil goes up on a Friday and down on a Sunday. And so I started thinking, well, wait a sec. 
what's the value of a barrel of oil right now? The futures market is gone negative, but has the price of a barrel of oil gone negative? In other words, what I was getting at is when is the price at the pump going to be negative? Obviously never, but like if your rationale for the fluctuation in price is all about the fluctuation in price of a barrel of crude oil, then how come doesn't go all the way negative? What I didn't get that. Yeah, it was just the futures and you're stuck with an oil contract. You have to get rid of it quickly. Otherwise you have a big penalty. Then you're going to be willing to sell it at a negative price to avoid the penalty. I got that. Yeah. That's I guess the I'm asking negative. I guess I'm asking a separate question then, a different question, which is actually two questions. What is the value of a barrel of oil right now? Does anybody know? Did the price of a barrel of oil ever go negative? No, it never did. So it's just strictly futures that went negative. Yeah. Because I was also having trouble, honestly, differentiating between the price of a barrel of oil at the wellhead and a future. Because in some senses, that barrel of crude is a future. It still has to be shipped and processed, right? It's not actually, I don't even know. I got, I got really mixed up quite clearly. So whoever, mixed up. whoever ends up with the future, you know, when the um, musical chairs game stops yeah, and yeah. you own that future uh, uh, just as it's coming to a close, you, yeah. you now, um, you now either already have, maybe you are the person who has the oil. Yeah. Like um, who owns an oil pump, basically. Uh, or you're someone who's well connected to buy. So you're going to buy it for a positive amount. And uh, yeah. Well, so then I guess the remaining question for me is what the hell drives prices changes, price changes at the pumps? Oh, right. Why do they change? Why do they fluctuate that way? I have just no idea. Well, yes, you do. I, well, what is it? Okay, it's the, uh, all the local owners of gas stations go out golfing together. <laughs> yeah. You okay. know that, right? And well, you, no, know, I mean, you know that when given, their, their, their price of oil goes up, you know that they jack their prices up. Instantly. And yeah. you know that when the price goes down, they take a good long month or, you know, two yeah, to four weeks. Big, there's a big fatty lag time. I get all that. But yeah. I guess where I'm going on that part was they have a rationale or a, a thing that they say is, oh, our hands are tied. It's just we've decided to price it against what I thought was the price of a barrel at the wellhead because we know that that price will be reflected all the way through the, dis the shipping, refining, and distribution chain to our pumps. We may as well change it on the day because over the long run, it all averages out, right? Well, like the stuff that that's in the pipe. Well, I think there's some rad, there's gotta be some rationale that they offer that is more than just, we decided we could go up six cents and nobody was going to scream too loud. On yeah. Friday. The rationale they give is when, it, when the price goes up, the rationale is the price of oil went up. Yes. That's what they get. And, and the same with down. It's just that it doesn't, there's got to be now, there's got to be some questions about, well, where is that price determined? Is it some average of all the different values for oil that are in the, in the long chain from the wellhead to the pump? But it is, I just did. it is some classic microeconomics going on. You, you know that when some little company like fast gas or one of those guys, yeah. you know, if Jet they fuel, yeah, if they sell their gas for a nickel less than everybody else, the first thing that happens is everybody else comes down a nickel. And sometimes what happens is everybody else comes down a dime because if it's a new player, then yeah. the big, the big players will just drive that new player out of the market. But yeah. if, the, if the new player has huge money behind them, they won't necessarily do that, but they will match prices all around. And so then it becomes who is the most efficient, who's going to make the most profits uh, because they actually have a really well-run show. So there is a lot of that that goes on, but they also, as the prices creep up, everybody realizes, you know what, maybe I'm, you know, last time I dropped my prices by a nickel, everybody else dropped it. Nobody won. I'm thinking, let's just let these prices drift up for a while. That Honestly, that's what happens. Yeah. Well, I do know that when they got to be really crazy, like whatever it was, a buck 65, a buck 75, whatever it was there, then there was a big outcry and they just magically dropped about 10, 10 to 15 cents into the buck mid 50s sort of. Remember that? They just, 
kind of overnight and for no reason that anybody could explain, the price just dropped at the pump. And the other thing and that... And then, then there came the inquiries into how the hell are you doing pricing from the provincial government here? Yeah, which is a hopeless inquiry. There's just no yeah. way to, Yeah. Yeah. But the other thing they'll do is, okay, so I'm going to let you have a card. Like, so Petro Canada, you're going to get your Petro Points card. I'm going to give you two cents off per liter um, if you hmm. own a card. And so I'm not sure how that one's played out. Like, do their competitors simply subtract two cents? Because... I don't think so. No, I don't think so either. Because if PetroCan has a dollar thirty-one point nine displayed, everybody else is going to have a dollar thirty-one point nine displayed, even though it's actually yeah. cheaper from PetroCan. Yeah, that that probably is a pretty complicated set of calculations because those Petro points can be used against a variety of goods, not just oil. That's right. And you'd have to look at the share of gas that they sell that is sold to people with and without. PetroCan cards, right? Yeah. So if 95% of their oil is sold to guys without cards, eh, no big. Um, that's, that's, I'm sure there's a bunch of stuff going on. What are the profit margins and all the other crap they sell totally. in the stores? All yeah, that that's right. Stuff. You're right. Because that two cents per liter that PetroCan gives is not really two cents because they can count on a number of people forgetting about their points altogether. Yeah. Yeah. And they can count on other people using their points for the most ridiculous things because yeah. nobody... Not nobody. Wow. I mean, I actually have a spreadsheet for save on more points. <laughs> <laughs> I want a windshield scraper. I want a barbecue lighter, yeah, whatever I yeah. want on the way to the lake that weekend that isn't gas. Yeah. And the other thing is with those points, it's like having your own currency. If they get too big a liability there, they just devalue it. That's right. Just so, so we used our save on more points to get uh, vouchers to travel to the island, to Vancouver Island and back. And the value was way better if you paid the $45 and then let them cover the rest using points. And so we're all pleased with that. And then the pandemic hits hits and I didn't read, I did not read <laughs> oh. the fine prints. These have to be used by November of this year. Oh, right. So we've, uh, we've given our, uh, our oh. vouchers away at a, at a loss to some friends who, who probably will end up using them at some point before November. But is it a loss? I mean, those were save on no. points. Is it a loss? It's well, not maybe a loss because maybe because save ons, maybe save ons goods are priced a little bit higher to cover the cost of all those points, and you, you paid the little bit higher. Like it's all the agreed upon price was ten dollars less than the vouchers value, and so they they uh, win with ten dollars. We, we we still win with pretty good value on our save on points. And yeah. uh, had to pay for uh, an envelope and a stamp. <laughs> I don't know. The points things just make me insane. People, I don't know how many, how many times in your lives, boys, have you been told by somebody, you better get a blank card because they're just giving away blank, whether it's air miles or points of whatever, you know. And you start asking, you usually get about three questions in before you understand Yes, but there's an annual fee or yes, but there's a whatever. Yes, but their interest on balances is way higher. Yes. In other words, they're not giving anything at all away. They Should just, be illegal. It pretty near like those, a lot of those points, things are running right along the edge of sheer scam. Damn For it. more on this topic, you can go back to our episode about our own <laughs> yeah. private islands. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's, and again, again, my, my faith in the idea that we could all look after ourselves is not, not great. We need Big Brother. We need, you know, a strong central federal government with in-command people. And here, here you go. You know, uh, a while ago I mentioned that I was happy that they have the policy at the grocery store where you can't bring your own bags because I never remember anyway. Well, there's a whole bunch of people that are super happy that social distancing does not really allow ride sharing. So now they can ride alone in their car and they don't have to feel all guilty about it. Oh, maybe that has a lot to do with why the traffic levels are up to the same level. <laughs> yeah, because you got to take your own car. I just made that up. I don't think it's, I, there is a lot of traffic, but I don't think it's because of that. It's true though. Like I bet you if you look they're nearly all single occupant cars. Or way more than usual. Got to watch the HOV lane. Mm -hmm. 
Well, and that's a thing. The police have been out doing speed enforcement quite a lot in the last two weeks, I've noticed, and quite a lot more than I noticed in the month prior to the last two weeks. They're kind of Highway 1. They're, there's a bunch of them out. So they finally decided, no more Mr. Nice Guy, I think. It's, mm, yeah. okay, yeah, you're struggling with this thing, but you're not struggling so hard that you can just speed freely. We're going to go after you now. I note that uh, there's an uptake in COBOL skills required. <laughs> so all these yeah. creaky old uh, unemployment systems in the States, a lot of them are run off COBOL, which is an ancient programming language. Um, it was my first and favorite language back in the uh, 1979 to 81 was when I got my computer programming training. I was quite proficient in COBOL, so that would be pretty tempting to dust off the old skills and help them straighten out the unemployment insurance systems. Yeah. Yeah, I hear that because I had COBOL also in the 80s. And then I went in the 90s, I went to a different language, but very similar, very similar to COBOL, but not the same. What's fun about that for non-developer types is those really are old languages and they are the languages that banks, insurance companies, arms of government wrote their gigantic systems to do things like payroll Payroll's the one that always springs to mind, but there's lots and lots of them. And over the course of, in my case, about 32 years in the computer business, all you ever heard was this constant thing about how systems have to be rewritten, how that language is obsolete, how this new language that we're going to sell you is the way to go. It's much faster, quicker, yabba dabba do. And here we are in 2020 discovering, yeah, well, to a large extent, we're still dependent on stuff that was written in those ancient languages, like clay tablets of the computer world, still dependent. I think that's kind of fun. Mm -hmm. So big money in it. There's a COBOL skills specialty firm out of Texas that's uh, selling people's time all over North America for Is very, right? very, very high rates. Yeah. Wow. So it's actually become, oh, wow. Uh, I see. I, I was only okay in COBOL. I could, well, I must've been okay at it because I was doing support at First City. So I must've been all right at it. Well, I, I found can't. the language highly intuitive, you know, procedural. You just like yeah. repeat this task until, like you literally would say repeat until, yeah. you know, X is equal to 52. Okay. Yeah. Well, who, you know, who, yeah. but the funny thing is I was listening to some podcasters who, who know the modern kind of object oriented languages and they're going, I look at COBOL, I cannot get it. And I'm thinking <laughs> these are, these are like those languages to me are really weird. They're obscure. They're non-human language. What, you the object oriented ones? Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, if you, uh, like C++ yeah. is a play that if you have a variable and you do that variable plus plus, that means add one to the variable. Oh, you know how you do it in that. COBOL? Add, Add one, one. <laughs> yeah, to X. Exactly. You Add know, one like, to variable on. name. Like, don't tell me that that's obscure. I don't, I just don't understand it. What are they saying? You well, know, if they said this X comma thing. add one, two, then I'd get it. Yeah. And this was the thing. You got called a dinosaur if you just couldn't adapt your mental reference. You just, if you just couldn't understand why you would go C++ instead of saying add one to C... Then you were labeled a dinosaur. You're caught in the old thinking ways. And I don't know. I just, the whole thing. It's pretty interesting. I'm surprised that somebody has made a business out of rounding up old fossils in retirement and putting them out there. Can you imagine some of the office scenes that must be occurring where these guys are doing this kind of Zoom conference and they look like us and they're, they're conferenced into a bunch of guys that are probably very resentful that they had to bring in outside help. We should have retired those systems 10 years ago. Now we have to deal with this guy. <laughs> Just think, wow. There's some good video there, I'm pretty sure. Now, um, speaking of religion. Yeah. Uh, Moby, I wanted to ask you, you have a kind of a Catholic heritage. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Are you interested in telling us a little bit about Catholicism and its impact on your life? Um, well, I know, I know it's on the list and everything. I've been taking I, the time to put down my, my major points. What? So you're, say, you're saying you have taken some time to put I down your major points? No, you I have, have not. not. Okay, all right. 
because I actually have a, a genuine interest in that. It's it's something that I mean I won't say why because I think that's better saved for when you actually want to talk about it. Well, no, we can we can talk about it. Should we? Let's do it because I was raised my early years because I think early years is when you kind of get your first impressions of religion and sometimes they imprint upon you for a lifetime. I would say most of the time they do. And I was raised uh, uh, loose, loose Baptist. So, you know, we would go to Baptist style churches and in Northern California where I spent my first uh, 12 and a half years I don't think the Catholics had much of a hold on that particular town. We would be what you call white Anglo-Saxon Protestant wasps. The entire town, 99% white easily. um, And probably 80% Protestant of those people who were religious. So coming, living, moving into Rossland, that was kind of foreign to me when I would start to hear people talk about catechism as they pronounced it some of the people <laughs> and it's all kind of interesting like oh a choir boy i've heard of a, a choir boy okay i've heard of that so anyway though the whole thing was just kind of interesting to me i never really i don't think i have ever attended a catholic church service i think i have lost out clearly i think i should at least try a, a midnight mass or a sunday or i should try something not not because i hope to get religion but because i find culture interesting that's all Uh, well it'll inform it'll inform like 50 or 60 cheesy horror movies you've seen yeah certainly (laughs) like if you could just see the actual thing all of a sudden a whole bunch of crap that you've seen on bad movies would make sense so there's that well i haven't seen all the bad ones i've seen the classic what's the name of the classic the exorcist i've seen that i don't think that's cheesy i don't i think it's a a, an incredibly well done movie Carrie, okay. Carrie would, would, would Carrie be considered Catholicism? That that's just a Christian yeah. religion. Yeah, she gets all the blood dumped on her, right? Yeah, and the but the crucifix with the mother and the and the knives flying around in the kitchen and yeah, all that fun well, stuff. A, a lot of the references are very loose and very yeah. you know yeah. not very specific at all. But I still think it's just kind of like well, actually, if you wanted me to be somewhat serious, it's kind of like. Uh, some kind of familiarity with the contents of the Bible. You don't have to care at all about belief, but some knowledge of what is in the Bible really lends a lot of context to a lot of stuff you hear and read and see. There are constant biblical references in politics, in entertainment, in popular media, in books. You know, it's just everywhere. And it adds something if you are aware kind of where it came from in the Bible, who said it, what was the background story, because quite often there's just a quote, and you're supposed to know that this means that situation, and if you so, have, if you don't, you don't. So KJ, your parents, were they both Catholic? Yes, indeedly doodly. Okay, so how did, so tell us about it. How did that work? Like, when do you first become aware, and what impact would you say it has had on your worldview? Well... So I was right. I was born in Penticton. So, and then I would have been baptized probably within a month after I was born. Then I don't remember. Well, I don't remember anything, of course, until I would have been in. I don't even think there was much before grade one. So we lived in Warfield, and then in grade one. I went to St. Mike's in Trail, so I did that for four and a half years with the nuns, and we had we had to go to church every Friday within school. Like you, we walked to the little parish close to St. Mike's there, and it was a shorter mass. And then, yeah, we moved to Calgary for six months in '65, and so again, I was part of the boys' choir. A big boys' choir in St. Anthony's, and the, uh, in Alberta, the schools are paired up with the churches. So there's the Protestant high school or, or elementary school, I guess, and the Catholic elementary school, right? And they're and you went to one or the, and they're both considered public schools, not not quite like BC. Anyway, then we came back, went to grade five at St. Mike's, and then we moved to Rossland. So I, I dropped all that, but. 
all the way along. Like, I became an altar boy in Warfield, um, probably, I don't, I'm trying to think how old I would have been, 9 or 10 or 11 or something. So you learn how to do the altar boy stuff, getting to wear the cassock, the black thing, and then the cassock. Well, so hang on. So let's, let's rewind a little bit. So... How many altar boys would there be? Would they rotate through a whole bunch yep. so that all the, and it was always boys, not girls. Yep. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Back um, then there wasn't even, uh, I don't even think there are even female, what would they call them? Like readers. Cause some, maybe after Vatican two, what wasn't Vatican two, 1972 when they turned the altars around and stuff. I think that's what, because I, I don't know if you knew, but before Vatican two, the priest had his back to you for the whole service. He was kind of looking up to the crucifix and I did not know that after, at all. No, after Vatican two, they turned the altar around. So the priest is looking at the congregation yeah, much changes, right? Wow. And that, so, so wait, wait. Let me just ask: the Protestant churches, the minister always faced the crowd, right? And was that something that was one of the differentiators at the very beginning of Protestantism? I bet it was. I don't. I don't know. Isn't that crazy? I had no idea about that. So yeah. sixty-three. I've never heard that before. So way back when you were, I think, in Penticton, wow. was it that when you were first in a choir? No, no, my God, no, no, no. I was in Penticton until I was a year and a half old. <laughs> oh, sorry. So was it Warfield or uh, Calgary? N- n- well, I, my mom would have been in the choir, so I would have been with her all the time. And we used to, like, we used to do crazy things in Warfield. Like, we would, we would go to Mass every goddamn day during Lent, like every wow. day, 7.30 Mass in the morning, and they were nice and short, but still... Come on, mom. I'm turning into a teenager soon. I'm you're waking me up at anyway. I'm asking about the choir because, you know, by the time you were I don't know how old you were when I first became aware that you have a magnificent singing voice. <laughs> uh well you you may not think so, but I think so. I mean, when you were in um some of those classic productions, uh Showboat, who who did you play on Showboat? Uh uh old Joe. Yeah, and you sang Old Man River. Yeah. Pretty pretty amazingly well, I thought. But I wonder how much of your experience with choirs would kind of inform that, like would get you into, oh yeah, I think that singing is a cool thing to do. Yeah, I'm sure it had to do with that, the whole Catholic church thing, because I was, I was always around them. I don't know that I, I, of course the congregation sings in Catholic church, but I don't know that I was actually standing in the choir. I, I, I'm confused about that. Yeah, I mean, I think you said you were in a child choir at one point. Right, right. So in when we moved to Calgary, there was this boys' choir, or men's choir, I guess it was. There was a few older guys in it. It wasn't just particularly boys, but my mom suggested that I go and uh, try out for it, which I did with my brother Tom. Tom barely made it in, but uh, anyway, it was quite fun. How do you know that? How do you... How do you know that? Tom wasn't. That he barely a, made it because he was because we were at the same audition. <laughs> it was just me and yeah, him. Yeah, but what did somebody somebody come to you and say, Kevin? Great to have you, Tom. Work on it. Talk to us what? again next. Like, how do you know that's? I just think you took a swipe at Uncle Tom. No, there. no, no. It's well. Uh, well, let's try that again, Tom. Shall we? You know, it'd be, uh, maybe just one more time. See if you can. Do, <laughs> you, you, <laughs> that's funny. seriously. I think it was something like that. And then we, we won the festival that year. Big, we also sang, that choir sang in uh, a commercial. That's just my awesome. first professional gig. Uh, oh, really? The Bay's 295th birthday. And we went into a studio and we sang this jingle. Come to the birthday party, 295 years, the celebration at the Bay. Da, da, da. Wow. So that would have been my first actual professional gig, and I'm sure they gave the choir a bit of money. But then we won the festival, and Tom, I swear he said... I just mouth the words. <laughs> <laughs> so 
know that. Well, I think we can look forward to listener mail from Tom on that. That'll be great. Uh, that is a very fun little story. I yeah. Mean, just, not just that he barely made it, but also singing the Bay Jingle. That's just, I sang in the choir, but we were, it was just for Sundays, right? My brother and I both did, but we were not in going in competitions or anything like that. Was just well, the other thing was that by this time, I've, I'm probably in, um, <laughs> so I'm, I went into grade four and a half in Calgary, but I'm probably in grade three piano at that time, right? I've been taking piano yeah. lessons uh, from Mrs. Lewis in Warfield, but uh, they taught you the, in the choir, they taught you by rote, that you just had... You weren't reading music. There was no music. No, there was words, yeah. and they would... It was it was osmosis like real easy for me to do that, but I don't know that, that that was quite as easy for Uncle Tom. I don't know, maybe it was. Ah. Well they did the same in the in the United Church choir, same thing. And harmonies were trickier because they had to they had to stop everything and say, When they're singing that note, you sing this note and then you had to remember that you weren't just singing the melody anymore. Yeah. But there was not reading music. It was just the lyrics and somebody waving their hands. Yeah. You mentioned grade three oh. piano. I, I took piano lessons up till grade three level. Just a little side thing here. The The teacher was really impressed with how quickly I learned. And I was uh, quite pleased with myself as well. And what was happening was I was using the numbers. I don't know if you had those or not, but when I took grade one, two, and partway into grade three, there were little numbers beside each note and a one meant your thumb, a two meant your index finger, a three meant your middle mm. finger, etc. And so what I was doing was I was very, very adept at reading those numbers. And then I could spot if the notes got high enough, I knew I had to go an octave up. Uh, and <laughs> yeah. so, and man, I was just doing in an English country garden and all these tunes that I was quite pleased with. <laughs> and, uh, then one day the numbers got taken away <laughs> And I simply couldn't play. I just couldn't play. I could not. Oh, play. that's right. Because they would be there for the early grades, wouldn't they? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And she was mad at me, and I was—I uh, had no sticking to it of this. I wasn't going. Okay, well, I'll just have to start over again here. I just quit. So that—that's my piano career. <laughs> I took piano too, and I can't remember the numbers. They must have had them, but they must have got me off them pretty quick because I. Just vaguely, I took it. I can't even remember if I got out of grade two. I don't think I did. I got stuck somewhere and I got really fed up. And I was older than you guys when I was taking them too. I was in grade six, probably, or seven when I was taking piano lessons. And all I really wanted to do was go play basketball with Glenn in the driveway at Armstrong's place. And I kept getting the same piece week after week. And I think it was Bourree. Week after week, and I couldn't understand what it was that I was not doing right, that I was getting it reassigned. She kept telling me, and I just kept not who is really she, who understanding. Is she uh, Mrs. Crispin, Beth Crispin. Oh, yeah, yeah. Bless her, wherever she is. I really liked her. She was good, too. A lot of other people had her, and they were good, but uh, I, I just could not figure it out. And really, my heart wasn't in it, which is probably the real tell. You know, I just, heart wasn't in it. It's too bad I regretted it. Within about three years, I regretted having quit. So once again, we learn that Glenn is the great corrupter of youth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Confirmed. Well, you know, you're in there, you're in there practicing beret, and you can hear doom, ba 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 doom. But you learned how to spell donkey pretty well. Yeah, yeah. I was awesome at spelling donkey and getting beaten at basketball. So KJ, yeah, no, I I regretted it. KJ, what is a parish? Like it's something that you learn so young that it's just like glaringly obvious. You probably don't even have to think of it. Well, it's like the city of Rosslyn, basically. It's, it's a parish. basically a Sa city. Sac Sacred Heart a Parish. Town. Right. Yeah. So Isn't it a, ge a geographic area that's served by a given church? Yes. Okay. Yes. Because what there is... was, there would have been St. Anthony's in Trail in the Gulch. And then St. Anthony's moved right downtown after a little while. But there was also a church in East Trail. So that would have been a different parish too, I believe. And then the then there's the diocese di, di, diocese. Thank you, diocese. Oh, that's the singular. You're looking for the plural. The diocese of Nelson. So the bishop was mm. was in Nelson, and he controlled the West Kootenays, I guess. 
I did not know that either. Where I never even thought about where the bishop in yes, was. yeah, and I think he, I'm trying to think if he would have. There probably would have been a bishop in the East Kootenays as well, but I, I'm not sure. Maybe not, I don't know. So were there were there big street fights between the various parishes? You know, like not that I know of, Skinny. <laughs> but okay. I left. I think I left before my fighting years. <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Tom got into the fighting part. That's <laughs> Another important question here. How do you pronounce X-A-V-I-E-R? Xavier. And is that the way it would have been pronounced in Latin in the old days, do you think? Why are you asking me that? Javier. (laughs) Exactly. Well, it's just one of those things that, I, you know, growing up outside of Catholicism, I'd hear Larry Armstrong say St. Francis Xavier, and I'd go, what the hell is that? Oh, Xavier, St. Francis. I think that is it. Uh, okay, so now you, uh, I believe where we last left off, you were in Calgary or you had come back to work. Where, where are you at here? Yeah, so we come back for grade five and I go back to St. Mike's and I'm trying to think about any other, there wasn't any horror stories from St. Mike's. Then some of the nuns were scary, but I don't know. And I thought that when I got into grade six, I was smarter than the other grade sixes because I came out of a Catholic school, but that dissipated rather quickly <laughs> probably completely equal by the time i get to grade seven but i had it so you're imbued with a sense of superiority i had by your, i did not have anything yeah. less than a b in grade six. Oh, so you actually were demonstrably smarter than kids in regular school huh well Jeez. for grade six and then yeah then until you till you got the hang of it yeah 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 <laughs> so then we come to rossland and that's and that's of course that's coinciding with puberty, right? So I'm fighting uh, music lessons. I'm fighting going to church on Sunday. Uh, sometime after Vatican II, or right around there. So in the early seventies, we were able to go to mass at seven thirty at night sometimes, which was a complete change. And sometimes, uh, not long after that was implemented, they started doing a 7.30 Saturday night mass that counted for Sunday. And now all of a sudden, that's a major game changer in a teenager's life. But then I started, I don't know what happened. Uh, my sister tells the story that uh, out in the, the foyer, right inside the front doors of the parish church, they'd have all the bulletins and the little pamphlets and shit. And there was this anti-abortion fluorescent orange bumper sticker. And there was a a little stack of them in the thing. And according to my sister, I don't really remember this, but I was outraged. And I don't know that I had any views on abortion at the time, but I think I must have had something in my head. But I thought the idea of of a... day glow orange bumper sticker having something to do with the catholic church was abhorrent and i expressed myself apparently to monsignor mac about it or i actually now this is her story maybe she can if she listens to this she can uh, verify but she seems to think and I, i would have been like 13 or something i think when this happened as time goes through the next three years, I'm slowly moving away fast. But but getting back to catechism, we didn't have catechism because I was in St. Mike's. So that, that, that was just a course that was probably you did that every day, first thing in the morning. So when you get to Rossland, it was Mr. Um, Haley. What was the big? I don't know. Skinny, you would know these. There were, well, I know there was Tom Haley and those guys, the track and field yeah. guys. It was their dad, Joe. Yeah. Is Joe is his name? I can't remember if that's the dad's name, but yeah. yeah anyway, he was in charge, and I, I often fantasize these days if I knew a bit of shit, that, because I had no idea about anything. And they would, they would talk sort of big picture things, you know, and I would have been probably the youngest in that catechism class. It was probably all high school kids, right? So anyway, there was that, and that was also another another time constraint. Like oh, I, oh, and it was like it was a Friday night at seven o'clock or something weird, you know. 
Maybe it was during the week, but uh, also someplace where I didn't want to go. Jeez, I can remember people complaining about it a lot. Like I'm thinking, sitting here thinking, just think of all the conversations that I heard and didn't really understand or know anything about. I knew catechism was a thing and people complained about having to go. I had no idea. I still don't really, what was it, Bible study? Is that what catechism actually is? Well, I don't know. I don't think the Catholic Church was very big into Bible stuff. Like they, well, they were into what the, the hell was catechism. Then? Well, yeah, I guess they talked about the philosophy of the church and stuff, and maybe they did. I don't, I don't know. I don't. For some reason, I all this. Maybe it's because the Catholic Church, I don't know, was just much more New Testament than. Yeah, they would have been for sure. Yeah, and I, I, I don't know. I was lost then. I was a. Isn't stu- catechism equivalent to Sunday school? Yeah. Well, and that's why I said Bible study, because Sunday school was really Bible study. Yeah. You'd hear all the parables, all the moral lessons, all the sort of teachings, all the things about how you're supposed to be, your your moral structure was what you were taught in Sunday school. And perhaps that's exactly what it was in the Catholic Church. I just don't, I just sort of don't have a clue. (laughs) I just wanted to be anywhere else than there. And the other thing you guys had too was confirmation, right? Like oh Protestant, yeah, so that's, Protestant thing. There was no confirmation yeah. going on at all. Was, so, what's a confirmation? Well, it's where it's sort of like your bar mitzvah or your bat oh. mitzvah, like it's yeah. a coming of age thing, and you become oh. a warrior of Christ, and you yeah, you're certified as fully competent to go yeah. forth into the world as a good Catholic. So here's a twist. So we moved to Calgary, and in Calgary. They confirm you in grade two or something, and in <laughs> BC they confirm you like more like grade seven, I think, like sort of or older, yeah, right, like, right at puberty or whatever it is. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, so I get confirmed, and that now I'm a warrior, and I, the Archangel Michael was my guy, so that's my confirmation name is Michael, and I remember my brother Tom would have been in grade two. And I'm pretty sure he got confirmed in Calgary, too. And you think, well, wait a second. Where's your credentials? (laughs) (laughs) It's all pretty, that that business, some of that. Yeah. The really great tidbits in that little part for me was the backwards-facing pulpit. Just had no idea. That's really crazy that, so iconography is a big deal in the Catholic Church, right? Yeah. It's, it's. A deal in other churches, but it's a big deal in the Catholic Church. The statues, the images, the holy reliquaries of, of artifacts and stuff like that. And the idea that the priest speaks to those on behalf of all the people at his back is just crazy to me. Just wow. So now at, ev- at every service, are those little smoking globes used? <laughs> <laughs> the incense. <laughs> Yeah, what's, what's what's the deal with that? No, that they're only used. The smoking globes. Yeah, they're kind of fascinating, aren't they? Oh. They're only used in a high mass, and it's it's a. Uh, I don't know okay, what it what's is. What's the it's, Latin it, name for those things, though? I don't know. Uh, There's a name for those. It's things. like smudging, it's, right? It's, well, it's a sensor. In in I might maybe that is the Latin, but it's a sensor. C e n s o r, I think. And it swings on the chain so that it distributes the uh, smoke all over. Yeah, the place. and and the it's it's got the little the ch- like the chains like one lifts up, yeah. the little top lifts up, and you put the little um, uh, amber stuff in there. And I, it's regional, right? Whatever you're smoking is regional, so it smells. <laughs> I did not know that either. I'm, That's I'm, also I'm sure it is. I'm I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure it is because I, I don't know why Jeez. I'm saying this. And then you'd light it, and then the the little chain would come down and it's all part of the thing. The whole lighting of it is part of the ceremony, right? And then priest would just go around the altar and he'd bless, he'd bless the crowd. Ching, 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 ching. And you had to, you had to let it hit. Oops. You had to let it hit the chain to make that noise. Oh my good Lord. And you just sort of think (laughs) this is the same church that determined who was pagan and who wasn't, you know what I mean? Come on, man. Jeez. 
So what you're saying it's used at high mass. What what constitutes a high mass? Is just the like Easter, Christmas, just a few of those every year, or what's a high mass? No, no, no. Uh, in some, uh, most places would have one. If there was three masses a day at any Catholic church, one of them would be a high mass, oh, and it's where it's okay. the full meal deal. So you get the full choir, you get the the priest would sing. And the congregation sings back for a certain, and there's, uh, yeah. there's, uh, yeah, the full um, probably three major songs that happen from the choir that you have to plod through. Um, what else <laughs> is a high mass? I don't know. Uh, it it just seemed to be more like an hour and twenty rather than fifty minutes, if you know what I mean. Are, yeah, yeah. yeah. Are, and do people choose? Okay, today I'm going to attend high mass. Or do people go to everyone or people just go, you no, know, no, I only no. have a little bit of time today. I'm just going to go to a low mass. Yeah, no, no, no. You'd only go to one mass a day. But, you know, I guess if you're devout and you had the time, you would go to high mass. Why okay. not? It's, and okay. if you were in and the if choir. Were, <laughs> if you weren't feeling the pressure, you'd go once a week or not at all. You know, like just depends. all social, right? Yeah. Uh, what do your neighbors uh, think of you if you only go once a week? See, I didn't, kind of I didn't know that uh, in... The Catholics that I knew, nobody didn't go to church, as far as I knew. Everybody went to church. As far as... We didn't talk about the guys that didn't go. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, but you, yeah, you could that. play a little shell game there going, you know, someone would say, well, where were you uh, at high mass? You go, well, I actually went to low mass yeah. today. And then yeah. somebody and at then, low mass, you're going, well, where were you? You know, and I, well, I was yeah. at high mass. And in this... In a small town, that game won't last too long, and, and eventually then your neighbors are getting all judgy. There's enough yeah. uh, busybodies around who are checking yep. out, fact checking yeah. on on you. Yeah, that's really fun. Like in the United Church, there was no call and response, right? But in the Anglican Church, there's call and response. And the Anglican Church, you would kneel to pray. They had the little thing where you clicked it down and you would kneel on it. They had that in the Anglican. Like the Anglican Church is just a hair off the Catholic Church. Uh-huh. It's Protestant, but it's pretty. There's a lot of the trappings are still there, right? And the United Church is just free for all. It's kind of. It's not like Baptists or Methodists where they go out of their way to make it as plain as possible. But it's pretty. You sing the songs and you have the lecture and you. Did you do communion? I believe you did, but that was about it. Like. Sorry. God, that's some crazy stuff, though. When did you stop going regularly to church? And how was it received in the household by your mom, I imagine? Not very well. So, the, I don't know, 15, 16, lining right up with all whatever puberty I was going through. It just, everything just piled up slowly. And finally, I just said, I'm just not, make me. You know, I don't. Oh boy, I'm staying. Well, in, you just know. I'm not getting out of bed. I'm not getting out of bed. I'm not. I'm not making you breakfast. Then. Fine, I'll make my own breakfast. You can just see it, and oh god, it's so interesting. Like I said, I just keep thinking about all the kids I knew and hung around with that were Catholic that had all this stuff that talked about it, and it all just sailed right past me. Just. None of that stuff was sticking at all. Yeah. Anyway, what else? Uh, the only other things that, what else can I say? Uh, my, when my mom died, she stipulated that she would have a high mass for a funeral. Like, you can ask for that, right? And she didn't, oh, Susan just said something the other day. She said, my mom said, well, we're certainly enjoying the new priest, and what she meant was that nobody could talk to this guy. Like, I guess everybody just hated him. But my mom said, well, we're certainly enjoying the new priest. <laughs> and what did that actually mean? We are enjoying him because we don't have to ever engage with him because nobody can stand him? What does that even mean? Well, she couldn't say, you know, as my mom wouldn't say shit if she had a mouthful of it. Like, Yeah, if you cannot speak well of an eagle, do not speak of him at all. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> anyway, so I think we asked if we could have readers, and the priest didn't particularly want to have anybody reading at this high mass. He was going to do his sort of yeah. generic, oh, she was a good, you know, but he barely knew yeah. her because he was kind of fresh. Anyway, I did re- read a little something. Susan actually 
uh, sang, and I don't know if somebody else did a reading, but anyway, that was that. That left a bad taste in my mouth. My brother-in-law. What left the bad taste? The resistance to it? Oh, just that it, it wasn't. It wasn't. You know, you sort of think of a celebration when you think of a funeral. Oh. Well, in my see, that was going on in my head. That's probably not in my mom's head when she requested yeah. this, right? Anyway, so then when uh, my brother-in-law Mike died, God damn him. Anyway, he he's in hospital for a long time. He gets talking to the Catholic priest. The Rossland Catholic priest who comes around to visit the hospital and they they become, and Mike's not a religious guy, you know, Patty kept it up and <clears throat> my mom would have made uh, Patty's kids <laughs> go to church to, you know, dress mm-hmm. up nice and everything. Somehow, Mike got this priest uh, to do a mass, to have a mass for his funeral which everybody thought was weird just to start. Yikesies. Why, because Mike wasn't Catholic? Yes, exactly. And and that, okay. and Mike's friends aren't Catholic, and, you know, who's going to come to his... And his whole life wasn't Catholic, so, yeah, yeah okay. So we're all there for the funeral and uh, hanging out in the uh, across of the, the hall there that's, I think, now a school or something, and uh, the priest comes in and he says, Patty, to my sister, uh, we need a reader because somebody always reads the epistle. The, the priest always reads the gospel, but before okay. the, the epistle, uh, it, it, which is a lower version, it's, I don't know, it's still out of the Bible. Uh, and I, I said, uh, oh, Patty said, I don't know if I overheard this, but she's, she asked the priest, she said, oh, my brother could read, he's a good reader. Oh, okay, he says to me, so he says, okay, well, let's come with me, he says, and it's still about 15 minutes before the start of everything. Oh, my God. Oh, it's like they're the day. Oh, oh yeah, my yeah, heavens. Yeah. I thought this was way in advance. So me and the priest start walking over to the back door, of the you know, behind the altar door of the church. And he says, uh, so uh, I, I trust you're, what did he say, a practicing Catholic? and uh, Yeah, or, Catholic in good standing or something like something that. Something like yeah. that. I said, oh, no, 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 I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Oh, and he, he he stops and he turns to me and he says, "Well, you can't read." And I said, "No, no, no. I, I I'm no, no. I'm I'm you know I'm good. Like I'm not gonna go up there and swear or anything. I'll I'll. Uh, oh no, no, no. He says, "No, that's not gonna happen." We turned around and I thought, "Oh, you asshole." Of course, uh, Patty asked me to do the obituary to do a reading. <laughs> So I'm getting up there anyway, whether this priest likes it or yeah. not. Right? Anyway, I was just flabbergasted at the language of the Mass. Like, just blown away. It was just so hit you over the head with sin and... Oh, it was just awful, awful, awful. Oh, it was like hellfire, fire and brimstone? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Way more than I'd ever heard it before. Way more, way more, way more. And it was actually part of the service, which even surprised me. But the service has changed quite a bit over the last 30 years, I'm sure. Anyway, so so I go, so he introduces, I'm going to read and Mike's brother's going to read at the funeral. So I go up first and the priest is sitting there in front of the lectern, or be, sort of behind the lectern, and there's two altar boys beside him sitting, and I walk up. And on the lectern is this massive Bible. I assume it's a Bible. Or, and I just didn't realize, I hadn't been in the church in so long, that the reader goes to the other side of the altar, and there's a, <laughs> there's a nice little dais over there. that you. So I stood right in front of the priest. I swear he could reach out and touch me where I, like I was literally like I was blocking him and yeah and he didn't say anything to me so I just stood there and I read what I and I did weird things like hook em horns and stuff <laughs> <laughs> and of course the whole con- really? yeah oh I did I think I did a lot of bad oh, things in there. oh my and then of course God. All, like on purpose all of my, no, purpose? no 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 that was all part of all my family's there of course all the 
good Catholics from Trail and <laughs> around the world, as far as I'm concerned. And in the choir loft, I think are all Mike's friends, right? Nobody sat down below. <laughs> so. Anyway, it was just a disaster, but it really opened my eyes to, uh, I don't know, just what they preach in that that evil, evil place. I just think, sort of over the years, it's just, I've come to the realization that it's probably the most uh, deadly organization in the history of civilization. Hmm. Yeah, it's just, it's fun to reflect on all of that. Like when you think about the little power dynamics, you know, the organizational structure of the church and what kind of career aspirations you might have when you enter it, how those aspirations are met, and how that sort of power is exercised in all the little nooks and crannies across the world, it's kind of staggering. And then, you know, every time Rich and I have both worked in big organizations and they always talk about culture, well, there's an organizational culture in the Catholic Church too. And it lends itself to bullying parishioners. It lends itself to exercising petty power like that, you know, just crazy. And that would be uncommon to many many different churches, but I, I think it's a, a stronger culture with the Catholics probably. Yeah, I think it probably is. And yes, you're absolutely right. There is, it is going to be common to all of them, but they won't all have had, they won't have all enjoyed the same kind of influence that the Catholic Church has enjoyed for the last yeah. thousand years or so. Now, yeah. now the whole, um, just to dip into the child abuse thing, my understanding... Is that, is that a thing we can just dip into? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, just very shallow. We'll just, we'll just lightly um, go over yeah, that. Yeah, just a, just a, and it's a kind of a fun topic as well. Um, <laughs> because we're hitting it out of the park so right. far with, with joy. Uh, my understanding is that when you do the math, like when they actually do like s- studies of the child abuse rates in the Catholic Church are nowhere near as high as you would think from from understanding, uh, from reading in the news and, you know, reading about the, oh, yeah. the sheer levels of abuse at the residential churches, which I think a lot of those were Catholic, if I understand right. However, in positions of leadership, when they do numbers, like the, the priests actually have lower than average for, for those sort of leadership trust positions. Oh, I just wanted to preface, preface the, my, my next question for you. Do you or anyone you ever know, like, you know, you kind of touched on this, so probably the answer is no, but did you know anyone who actually was very uncomfortable, put into uncomfortable situations with priests or other other leadership positions in the Catholic Church? No. Okay. I, uh, which is... Oh, so, KJ, that was our big chance on this podcast to venture into real, yeah, real stuff. And, and no, can't you just make something up? Well, uh, yeah, let me make something up. I do remember, because um, we would go to family reunions in, reunions in, Sask- in Saskatchewan. The whole family would drive out there, and I do remember, and we'd visit the Capel Valley where the family had cabins. And I remember this, so I would have been, I don't know, or barely a teenager, 12, 11, 12, 13, in there again. And I remember sitting, uh, going to one sort of party, like all the kids are outside, and there's a bishop and two uh, priests, but they were dressed like you would not believe. One of them had a purple suit, like they're in suits. They they had their collars, but they're in uh, the most high fashion things I have ever seen. And you kind of and and they're all drinking scotch. You know, and they're sitting around and, you know, my fan. But they're wearing their, they're wearing their clerical thing, their cleric's collar and a whole thing. Yeah, yeah, the collar, but everything else is uh, snappy, snappy. Would that have been described in the past as flamboyant? I, I don't know. I, I I just (laughs) never, I had never seen a priest dressed like that before, right? Ever. And I, I just thought, and of course they're sitting around in my family, my dad's family, they were, you know. They're all crazy, devout Catholics, but they were sort of, they'd like to sing like bad boy songs, you know, like b- bad Irish songs that sort of disrespected certain things that maybe the, the Catholic Church, you know. Yeah. Anyway, and I'm sure they're telling all sorts of 
rude jokes in front of the priests and the bishop and laughing and ha ha ha. And I just, I, I, anyway, I, I found that bizarre. Um, no, but as far as I, nobody I knew, nobody, although I wasn't, I didn't know, Jer, my brother Jerry was an altar boy the same time as I was, and Tom probably was after the fact too, but I didn't know the older altar boys unless they were guys that were going to school with me, and that that was only a couple. And I don't think any of that happened there. What else was I... Oh, I do remember, though, the first time I saw a headline or something, and I don't know if it was about Mount St. Vincent or Mount Cashel or whatever. I'm not even sure, but it was one of the earlier large ones, and I thought... Yeah, Cashel was one of the very, very early ones. Yeah, and it it was in the news, and it's the yeah. first time I've ever seen it. And actually, I think it was the first time I I had ever heard of it. And I thought, and they they had c- caught and arrested these priests. I don't know if I think there was more than one. And I thought, oh wow, that's uh, that's incredible. But then I thought, oh well, now that they've caught him, them, that's just going to stop. Like mm-hmm. nobody would. Right. No, that's just going to stop. If there's any of that going on anywhere else, that's just going to stop because yeah. somebody's caught. And I thought, what a naive thing to think, you know, after the fact. Yeah, I, I think the whole, I think the whole country thought that. I do. I think the whole country thought that was, it was just shocking and outrageous. The whole country, with the exception of those parts of it that were under the control of those guys. Yeah. The guys that yeah. have since been caught and the guys that are still doing it yeah. probably. What else? I think that's the end of my story. But I, I also remember that I have a cousin who became a priest and then waned after not that long, four years or something. It just wasn't right. And I also remember at that reunion that I know I had probably a second cousin who was a nun. I don't... So th- it, was, it was throughout the family, right? All over the place. Mm-hmm. Well, just to bring this also full circle into an earlier topic, uh, on Facebook, I posted a wonderful music video. I shared it called the liar tweets tonight based on, uh, based on Donald Trump, you know, he's the liar and he tweets tonight and it's actually a play on the lion sleeps tonight. So I posted it. I had, th- uh, four, five, five people liked it. So not, not a very high traffic post kind of a funny little video to watch. And part of it, part of the video is the, the, the chorus is people saying, vote him away, vote him away, vote him away. PJ, did you see my aunt post a reply to that? Aunt post? Yes. My aunt, my aunt Phyllis. Yeah. So my aunt Phyllis posted. No, I did not. She posted the only reply to that. Now, aunt Phyllis is what you would call a fundamentalist Baptist type Christian. She's a proselytizer. She's a, she's a really wonderful lady with an easy smile. She's very interesting. She builds furniture. She's, she's her whole life. She's worked with her hands. She's done a lot of cool stuff and I like her, but, uh, she will bring up religion at every, you know, very, very rare for her to post anything on Facebook without thanking Jesus or something (laughs) like that. And I, I actually have several other family members that are related in that regards, I've muted all them, so I no longer see their posts, but I do, I do keep her unmuted. Her reply to my posting of the liar tweets tonight, including vote him away, vote him away, uh, was this. What do you want? Baby killers? Oh, nice. <laughs> that, was, <laughs> that was it. And that, you know, and, nice. and included with that was a little emoticon of a devil, a purple head with a devil. And, uh, that brings us back to, to PJ's asking the six reasons, uh, why people, uh, support Trump. I would almost argue that's the number one reason. Like if you are a fundamentalist Christian and that would include, uh, certain Catholics, um, who have Mm -hmm. a hatred for abortion, who believe that abortion is death, like murder, murder, hundreds of thousands, millions of murders, then you're going to just hold your nose and you just don't care if he's a liar. That's it. And so, you know, I wrestled with, do I reply to this? That's, you didn't, did you? I did not. I mean, that's not going to go well, is it? 
And I well, it's pointless to like. <laughs> I thought in my mind, you know, like climate change could kill billions, for example. Yeah. But you know, and well, I did not. I did not block her either. But it's <laughs> I did the, not. It's, no, I wouldn't. It's I the whole argument it. right now in the pandemic is the, the choose life. People are saying, no, you can let those old people die. Right. But, but no, no, we, we choose life, but not in this case. Yeah. It's, right. It's all just crazy. Yeah. And part of and that, Trump, of course, extremely cynically has just been busily like he had those guys uh, very solidly behind him. The really fundamentalist guys. And he could do no wrong, but they started to fall away from him last summer. He started having guys publish editorials about what a bad Christian he is and all this, you know, like last summer, are you kidding? The prior couple of years didn't count. So he started cultivating them again. And in fact, on the day when they were going to have his impeachment hearing, I think he was attending a pro-life rally, played his speech and he's, you know, saying all the right things about how he's anti-abortion, all this stuff. And you just think... That's just the coldest, coldest, most cynical thing you're ever going to hear. But he's been cultivating them. And your Aunt Phyllis is just going to believe what she needs to believe to get through her days. And I think that's the fundamental deal with most of his supporters. Okay, guys, we're going to try a a live feed here. Um, Hopefully we don't get Ah. any feedback, just so you can get a feel for it. Um, Can you hear anything? I actually can't hear it. Anyway, there you go. Vote him away. <laughs> there you go. And it just goes on. And it's one of those ones, too, where they just, it's like a Zoom feed with about 100 participants. All these people from every walk of life are playing instruments and singing along, and they're all looking really happy about it the whole way through. Oh, yeah. And when they switch to Trump, the liar, vote him away, vote him away, they show um, Joe Exotic. The lion oh. guy, oh. yeah, little play. I on. didn't, I didn't catch that. Yeah. yeah, I'm so excited, so excited. That that tour, that great detailed look at the mighty, mighty castle that is Catholicism. That's it for us. That's all we got this week. That was a lot of fun. I don't know about anybody else, but I did some serious learning today about Catholicism, which I found extremely entertaining. I hope you did too. I hope that the whole pandemic is treating everybody that's listening to this as well as it seems to be treating us, knock on wood, so far. And uh, that you're taking care of each other and the people you love. And come back and see us and hear us again soon. Make sure you ask us whatever you need to know. Make sure you tell us whatever you need to tell us. We're dying to hear it. Till then, take care and we'll talk soon.